0: This episode of Ticket Volume is brought to you by us, Invigate. Get service operations under control in no time. Get one free month of our software solution by going to try.invigate.com. Ticket Volume is delighted to host two guests on this live event. First, we have a second-time guest on Ticket Volume, the head of customer engagement and advocacy at NextThink with a rich consulting tenure as well. He served a long stint at BMC, and he's joined by the Senior Director of Technology, Strategic Business Operations at Vizient, Director digital employee experience at strategic initiatives at Cigna, who got started in human resources roles and IT vendor management roles, and also served as senior manager of employee experience at Express Scripts. Welcome to Ticket Volume Live, an opportunity to be the news and information for improving IT experiences. I'm your host, Matt Barron. Each week, I hype up leaders to share their insights on service management, technology, business, and this episode is going to bring the same energy. I hope you've had a good week, and I also hope that you get involved today by asking a question in chat or providing your insights as we're speaking. So, Let's begin. Welcome John and Emily. Just add you here real quick. Sorry, there's a slight delay there. That's. I thought that was
1: for like for drama. I, we were adding a bit of drama already, right? I love it. Hey Matt, how you doing?
2: Hello. <sighs> good hello, to Emily. see you both.
0: Welcome to Ticket Volume.
2: Thanks for having me. Yeah, very yes. good to be
0: here. Yeah. My pleasure, my pleasure. I think this is such an important topic. Employee experience is such a huge thing. Of course, with the change of people going remote and hybrid, it's just become that much more difficult. Um, So I'm glad that we can actually take some time to geek out about this. Just
1: correcting the balance, Matt, you know, because technology has played far too heavy a role in the digital employing. We're just trying to readdress some of that balance, that's all.
0: Yes, which is why I love the title of this, Experience is Squishy, right, Emily?
2: It's so squishy. It can be tough to measure for sure. Um, but we, oh, so important.
0: Exactly. Tough to measure. You mm-hmm. that is perfect because when we met earlier to discuss this this podcast, because behind the curtains, what you don't know is that we planned some of this stuff out. <laughs> Can you believe it? Uh, <laughs> you mentioned going through tickets to find trends, um, and that that really sounds like problem management. But mm-hmm. is that kind of where people look for for the the data? Like, is is picking through tickets the first step?
2: Yeah, and so I'll, I'll talk about that. Yeah, we chatted, but completely unscripted. So just some topics here. So let's I, say- did, I
0: didn't show up to the chat
1: anyways. So I <laughs> right? very
2: yeah, I didn't do? even show up. It was me, <laughs> and, me and Matt. So um, starting with ticket date. Traditionally, that's, that's where companies start. That makes the most sense, right? What are employees telling us they're having trouble with? What are they calling us about or reporting? Um, When you do that, you focus on a very finite group of people who are always contacting you um, and you're leaving out a group of people who um, maybe have a higher tolerance and just deal with some of their problems, restart their computer and and move on about their day. But they're having an awful experience. Right. So, um, you know, it's kind of what comes first, chicken or the egg. Right. You could use your ticket data to. figure out where you need to go get sentiment. Like, does this really matter? Do the, you know, is this matter for everyone? Or you can take a completely different approach and start with your colleagues and then work backwards to the data to support what they're telling you um, they're struggling with every day.
0: Perfect. I love that. It's such an important, easy step. You've already got all this data. You maybe can tell whether people are happy or sad or frustrated or feeling really productive based on what they're typing into tickets, the conversations that they're already having. So, does that mean that we have to reduce ticket volume, or is it, or is it, um, or is it really just leveraging what's in there?
2: Um, I think it can be a little bit of both, but I think sometimes you can even <laughs> slightly increase your ticket volume to decrease it in the future. So don't be afraid of that. Um, That happened to us in in a recent project um, because we put out a content strategy and a feedback collection strategy where we were hyping up a change that's coming. So the colleagues were paying attention to it before the change hit. But the real um, proof of success was after that go live date, the ticket drop volume dropped dramatically, or almost was non-existent, because of the work we put in upfront, um, and we were able to col- collect the sentiment on on the colleagues going through a smoother experience. We're still working to get better, um, but I think t- if we if we're always after ticket reduction, we're still missing a big piece of it. Mm-hmm. If if we reduce tickets that are coming in, does that mean employees will be more productive? Or does that mean our service desk will be more productive? You know, what what's the what's the problem we're trying to solve? Yes. I, I, would, I, would,
1: I would add as well, if you want to reduce tickets, don't answer the phone. Right? So <laughs> there <go>. is simple <laughs> ways to stop tickets. But, it you know, uh, and I think some of this is that the sentiment exists out there, right? It, it exists anyway. All we're trying to do by now saying we should kind of proactively go and gather it is let's just ma- let's actually make it now proper data, not just feelings around the water cooler. Feelings that emanate out for a line of business to their leader across, come down and hit you anyway, right?
2: And I think the other, I mean,
1: the other piece there, you know, it's interesting on the kind of reduced tickets. I think Matt, you've been around service desk a long time. You know, I've done my bit, and I think we we already know like you can go into a service desk and improve it, and it will in fact increase the number of tickets because you have built trust that you're going to respond. Yeah, I think the sentiment is just it's another mechanism that, for a period of time. But then when you can tie that to your point about problem management, you know, when you can tie that to some proactivity, some automation, that's when we now switch the cycle and and we start reducing. that.
2: And that's a great point, John, about naming it like the sentiment Mm -hmm. is out there, as you said, Like if you don't name it and start to put some data around what can be squishy, as we said, the actual squishy part is the feelings, like people's feelings are roller coasters every single day when they come to work. So if you put Mm. out um, a sentiment campaign or focus on satisfaction, or I see a lot of delightful, does this delight you? Does Mm. this make you happy? Is it enjoyable? You're probably not gonna get a lot of action out of that. But if you focus more on some of the objectives, side of the experience is this easy to use does it meet your needs is it reliable is it functional um that starts to give you some make that a little less squishy and it's still sentiment but it it turns it more into insightful data
1: i I love it emily when we've talked before that that the additional kind of one question you ask as well is and aside from those three like really prime like components of what a great digital work place feels like the last and how do we make it better and all the intelligence we get through that open-ended question
2: right you have to have the open-ended question yeah and then you have to be prepared to read every single part of it um, and every single comment whether it's you or some ai doing it you get you have to Mm -hmm. dig in that's that's really the meat of the sentiment um the other questions you could put on a likert scale come up with a score um but if you don't know why um you don't have that initial breadcrumb, which I would also say that's what you're gathering when you're doing a survey like that, focusing on um, initially what your experience with this particular technology or all of technology. And you have to use those breadcrumbs to dig in deeper. And it's not always a survey. We always jump to let's survey, let's survey, let's survey. Maybe it's a focus group. Maybe it's a um, interview. Maybe it's a journey map. Let me go along the journey with you. Right. And so, um I love. You got to think about your persona type. So I love in, in the <laughs> times that I've re- rinsed and repeated this strategy, I've always looked for our super users, our executive admins in a company, like having a focus group, they are the go-to for not only the executives they support, but everybody in the company, like they are power users. So just plugging in with them regularly, you'll learn so much and it's not a survey, um, mm-hmm. but you'll learn what they're hearing from the, the uh, employees or colleagues they support um, and you can start using that as a lens to prioritize your ticket data or as a, a filter if you will
0: dude you two are coming with the thunder <laughs> I hate surveys so I'm so glad that you said that um, you know everyone's got survey fatigue and and I'm constantly telling people you've you've got tons of data already you don't necessarily need surveys but great alternative suggestions do a do a brown bag lunch, listen to people, have that conversation. I also really liked your point about you know making it about them. Are you getting your bonus this year? are we getting you closer to getting your bonus? Are we helping you achieve your objectives um, and helping like understand how you're contributing to that? And then also, I love that open-ended question. that's one advice that I always give to people. one bit of advice that I always give to people is. Maybe you do say your NPS, maybe you have to do NPS because your agents are rated on it or their bonuses depend on it. But then after that NPS, leave something open, give them a dialogue box to start of open that, that conversation with people. And then, yeah, you're stuck with that combinatorial analysis. Like how am I going to grok all this data that we collected in open text?
2: Yeah. We've also started adding to the end of our, um, Collections when we do surveys, um, can we follow up with you? Yes or no. Some people will give you feedback and they never want to be bothered again, but no. others are like, absolutely, give you know, I'll be part of your focus group or your your next study on what's going on here. So,
1: e- Emily, last time you and I got together, we were in St. Louis and we had a conversation with a bunch of folks about this, right? And so, so how? And one of the things was the concern from IT pros is, how do we turn this into? How do we not turn into this another to another complaints channel we have to measure? How do we how do we stop it being seen as an alternative way to tell us about a problem you're facing that we're quite and suddenly we're not stepping in and helping? So how, how do you recommend people handle that?
2: Well, you first don't treat it like a ticket system. I yeah. think we're used to doing that. Like mm. you come to me, I solve your individual problem. You come to it's not an individual, let's solve everybody's problem. Um, and I've seen that um, in my, my engineering friends I work with when the data comes is, you know, they'll look through the free form comments and like, I want to follow up with this person about their voice issue. It's like, no, that's not the way that it works. Um, we're going to aggregate that. And if voice challenges end up rising to the top, then we're going to come up with a project to complete that. But if that's the only one person, um, that's OK. We're going to continue to communicate back. We're going to listen, act on the aggregate, the themes of what we're hearing, and we're going to make sure we tell everyone who participates in our collection, our research collection, whatever it may be, um, what our next steps are so that they keep coming back and telling us. Um, so you can't treat it in as you know a ticket system, I guess, is it? And mm-hmm. that everybody who gives you feedback responds. To keep it from being a complaint system, it is a complaint system. It is sometimes. Sometimes it's a complaint system. Sometimes it's a praise system. Like y'all are doing a fantastic job. We get a ton of that too. Um, Mm -hmm. So you'll get both sides of that. Um, And I think what I found almost every time, pretty much every time, just the act of asking makes your employee experience go up. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you care. I'm glad, like, think about everything we do in day to day. Do you get a purchase from Amazon or online company anywhere who isn't following up about how that experience mm-hmm. went? Like a lot of the lens I try to put on it is what's happening in our four virtual or physical walls at work is being compared to what our employees are experiencing outside. Mm-hmm. So if they get a different experience when they come to work, you're like, oh, well, these you know, outside companies when I interact with them, they care enough to ask or to do something about that experience. Um, and then it, it it makes asking less intrusive, too. Like, oh, yeah, I'm used to getting asked these surveys all the time outside of work. Why wouldn't my work care just as much? Um, so it makes that part a little bit easier as well. The,
1: the only thing I would say to that, I, I agree with you, but I think there's a downside if you don't. Like my, my three golden rules are always whenever someone gives you feedback, say thank you make sure we publish the results as unfiltered as we possibly can for the transparency side and then publish the action plan, right? Because I think the only thing is when you are like the flip side of it is when I'm continually asked for feedback and that feedback seems to go into a void, a black hole. At some point now, it's going to take my experience down a level. But I agree with you initially, even the act of asking should raise us as long as we follow through, share the plan. And I've always been a big fan of most folks understand if they're asking you know, if, if a trend's coming out of there that we can't solve for good reason, just explain why.
0: Just explain. If people
1: know why. Actually, OK, great. I get it now. I'll, I'm going to move on past that thing and, you know, and, and interact with you the other day. The other thing I love about this is, you know, I think you're, you're touching on it, Emily, It's just how do we normalize that this is just the way IT wants to engage with their employees in that partnership? How do we normalize that? you know, I love the idea of, of somehow embedding this into onboarding, you know, maybe with a wrapper of an XLA or something, but just, cause then you're giving that great first impression, but you're also normalizing that we want honest feedback cause then we can take action. And then that becomes part of kind of a, some sort of operational routine, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: We've got a great question from Roy here on surveys or, or capturing their, oh, their right? sentiment. How important is it to gather data as close to real time as possible?
2: Hmm. Depends on the problem you're trying to solve. Hi, Roy. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the question. Yeah, I think coming, um, right. if it's particular about a like onboarding experience, a transactional, a lifecycle experience, this particular product, it's more clo- it's more important to be as close to real time with that. If it's more um, relational or like a pulse survey, how are we doing overall? It's still like it's going to be stale in you know a quarter's time. Uh, but it's not so important to have that as real time as if it's tied specifically to a specific project or experience, which are two different ways to collect sentiment, mm. right? Just an overall pulse. How are we doing as technology? Um, you know, focusing on those objective pillars. Is the technology we re- re- provide you? Is it easy to use? Is it meeting your needs? Is it reliable? What can we improve? Tell us why, right? It's kind of a baseline that that I've kind of always mm-hmm. started with. But um, when it's transactional based, or you just used this product, how was that experience? That that needs to be more real time.
1: That's. I think that's also um, in the Emily and like the specificity of the question as well. You know, it's almost like you frame the question about the last interaction. Would that be you know the last time, the last week when you did such and such. And that, you know, with with the kind of the surveying capability now that we have, and with the other insights we're able to bring to the table, we can actually see who's doing what, and we can be really specific in who that we're asking the right people at the right time with the right framed question, the right language to, you know, solicit the best possible results. And yeah, yeah to Roy's point, some sometimes as close to real time as possible is great. But for the for the fifty thousand foot view, though, are we heading in the right
0: direction? You're right. It kind of it's okay if there's some lag time to that. Yeah we obviously struck a chord because he mentioned here specifically why are so many organizations prepared to handle complaints this
1: this came up matt yeah
0: but not prepared to handle praise i know it's
1: brilliant roy and it just like seriously in the same room as we had one group talking about how do we stop this the other group was saying well actually we're capturing this experience data And you'd be surprised at all the positivity coming back in the feedback. And again, we've got to, you know, we we have to, again, we have to build this trust thing, which says no one's getting fired because you say this piece of technology sucks, right? Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen because employees actually tend to be quite protective, everyone. So we do need to cut through and we can only get better if we get the honest truth and start Mm -hmm. from a place of, and we have to kind of encourage employees to give us that. And, And we do that by being trustworthy ourselves, by keeping our promises, right? To be trustworthy and then folks will be trustworthy back with you and share how they feel. And and now we've got some real data we can kind of take action on.
0: Exactly. And don't make it. it, I do the same thing when I'm at a hotel and I get the five star rating. I feel obligated to give them five stars. Like what if what if they do get a promotion or their pay is based off of their rating? You know, I feel like this sense (laughs) of guilt. However, if it is a terrible experience, I'm still going to knock it down. Like there's nothing I can
2: do. Yeah, you think about it a little bit differently, though, I can tell you there's not a survey that comes across my email or an experience that I do not take in the past seven years since moving into digital employee experience. I'm like, I, I have to, I have to take this. Like, I'm in the business of putting these out. It's like karma to me. I'm just, I gotta do it.
0: Oh, my gosh. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's move on a little bit further. Let's move on towards how organizations can 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 handle employee experience, right? Like, so you're, you know, you're in HR, you're in finance, you're in IT, you know that employee experience is hurting because of the services or products you deliver on a regular basis. How do you get started? What does bootstrapping experience look like?
2: Yeah, you have to get started by listening. And I guess before you listen, you have to be prepared to listen. So we were kind of talking a little bit about that, just in that last question, you have to be prepared for the good and the bad. You're going to get both. Um, and I find kind of, and maybe this was what you were alluding to, Roy, we skim over the good. Okay, that's good. That's good. That's good. Oh, here's where we need to improve. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do focus more on, on working with, um, we may hear things that aren't great. And to John's point, that doesn't mean you're not doing a great job. It means now we know where we can get better. So that's where we're starting. So that that's great. But I think um, you have to you have to listen to what your employees need and not make assumptions. Um, throughout my career, I've seen so many assumptions, and I am the one that shows up and say, "But how do you know that to be true? Like, how do you know that's the problem that we need to solve? If we're not asking our colleagues, and if that question's not tied to the problem we think we can solve, it goes back to the design thinking scientific method, right? what's your problem, what's your hypothesis, test it. And you can't do that without the voice of your colleagues at the forefront of what they what they care about.
1: And you mentioned it earlier, Matt, you know, with the, I think we've probably got a lot of service management folks listening into this, right? And it's not it's not that the service management data doesn't matter. It's a great source of data as we're building those hypotheses. Look at your ticket. I mean, the trouble is so many folks I talk to, ticket data is still garbage, right? You know, it's not. <laughs> so it's still, it's giving you some of the picture, but even and and then we know that most people that have digital friction in their work day don't tell us at this day. Yeah. So, you know, so it's not. So we can still use that data, and that data presents some hypotheses. We can still use the transactional surveys as we're closing tickets, closing requests. All of that coming together is, you know, can help us figure out where to to start our our sentiment and our kind of our experience capture. And the other thing, just just so we don't gloss over it. We, you know, no one is suggesting we craft this, you know, this survey and suddenly just launch it on a workflow. You know, maybe, I mean, maybe, Emily, you can tell us a little bit about how you how you lay the ground far prior to that first survey because it's yeah. important to get the right messaging across, right?
2: Yeah, and I first want to double down on you, me. The, the data is so important, mm. so important. What the sentiment just helps you to do is prioritize where to look at in the data because there's so much of it. Right. So you could go down a path that your colleagues don't even care about where you should have gone a different direction than the data. But you need the data. You need the yeah. my my approach has always been on a qualitative and quantitative data approach. Start with the colleagues, then look at the ticket data and this what we can see from the system data um, on how their endpoints are performing. Um, to come up with, with where we should focus. But we start with the colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, to get prepared to start collecting that data. Um, few things. So it's <laughs> it's not easy. That's why we're here talking about it, right? Um, shared goals is important. Find others out. If you're sitting in technology, find others in the company who have similar shared goals, whether that be in HR, strategic communications, um, maybe corporate real estate, if you're going back into the office, who around the organization has a shared goal with you um, that you'll, you'll get some support with. So um, I found that to be important. Um, and then even within technology, uh, don't work in a silo within technology um, who across your, your um, places in technology have a shared goal. So I'm in a, a shared services department. So um, having shared goals with um, our, you know, infrastructure and support team and our engineers, I couldn't go out and collect a bunch of sentiment data and drop it on their laps and say, hey, look what I found out. Can you we have to do it together. There has to be shared um, goals. And then the other thing I think you started to allude to it a little bit, John, is with the the building trust and creating that brand. If you come to your employees and, and you haven't yet introduced who you are and what you're trying to do, um, they're going to think you're spam. Quite honestly, that happened to me early on. We started like, oh, this great, you know, brand. We're going to get it out. This is our decks. And people were reporting us to security. We're getting hacked. Like, this is fans. We're like, oh, okay, let's dial that back. Like, we need a communications campaign first around introducing what we're trying to do and saying at some time in the near future, you will receive a type of survey or request for an interview um, from us. But we are legit and we're here and we're here to help you. <laughs> so, um we learned that, so I'll share that learning with you. Don't just, you know, start shooting out surveys if you haven't introduced yourself to the organization and they don't know who you are. I
1: think so it's, true, and it's 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 kind of doubly difficult as well, isn't it, Emily? Because the like some of the stuff you were talking about, I love about the secondary research, the running pilot groups, the the inter. That's not necessarily in the typical wheelhouse of a lot of service management folks. It's not something we've had to do a lot of before. And then this piece, this kind of comms, this kind of marketing of the branding of the, again, not this is a new type of skill that we're now encouraging IT professionals and IT teams to have, right? And it, it it doesn't necessarily feel natural. And you know, I always, you know, when I'm talking to our customers about some of this stuff, you know, you know, I'll always say to them, every single one of your organisations has a marketing team. Mm-hmm. Go and talk to them. And you will, and, and honestly, actually, a lot of our customers, certainly at the high end of enterprise, they have an IT cons team, so they are already going down that path. And but it's just go and find the people in your organization who are professionals at this, and go and learn from them, go and get them involved. You know,
2: absolutely, those yeah. go shared goals. Let them know what you're trying to do, yeah. and um, they'll more than likely want to partner with you on it. Um, and if not, figure out why, and then. <laughs> approach that in, in a way to, to get them on board. But, um, yes, we work very closely with marketing and strategic comps. Couldn't get it done without them.
0: Yeah. For this, I usually recommend that people start with a stakeholder map. You need to like actually map this out. Who are the stakeholders that you need to match up to mind maps are great for this. Um, Simone put in some good comments. We definitely struck a chord again with the ITSM community. We're not used to listening. How do we focus? How do we avoid our own filters? And, and she asked another similar question. How do we stop from weaving the data to fit our own narrative, to, to, mm. to fight our fight that we're already fighting? How do we avoid that and be selfless? Got ideas?
1: I got a view, but Emily, I mean, so I'll, I'll go quickly. Often when we're looking at data, we're trying to disprove our hypothesis, right? If if you go with a viewpoint that you're trying to prove it, you'll find rationale, confirmation bias, and everything else. I think if we go from a let's see if we can prove ourselves wrong, that's partly I think the mentality. But Emily, you've done this a lot more than me. What do, how, do, how do you overcome that?
2: So I have never managed. to
1: be wrong. You're right because you're brilliant. I'm so <laughs> <laughs> I have never,
2: <laughs> I've never managed or been responsible for any of the IT products or services that I'm collecting information about. Mm. So the, the departments that I've created, uh, we mentioned at Cigna Express Scripts, and now here at Vizient, um, have been separated from um, those groups who own those products. And so what I do own is exactly what we're talking about today. What is the experience, sentiment, productivity, holistically? Because there's multiple products that make up employees' experience. So if I was tied to one product and I'm trying to do this for one product, my changes might counteract my peers and what they're providing, right? So um, I've kind of been that objective, I'm sorry, yeah, objective view, like that, that, you know, I don't have skin in the game if... um, If you don't. If I don't, right, like, I don't know, and and I never get deeply ingrained into anybody's product plan so much in IT, except for, you know, coming to the different groups and say where your product meets colleague meets human, if they're going to feel the action you're taking, come over to us in our digital experience department, because we want to help either make sure it's the right design, the right product, or um, help you get the word out or get feedback. And on the flip side, we have the same lens when we're collecting it. So um, we've always had a, a uh, you can, it's UX research experts, but instead of working on customer experience, they're working on employee experience. So when they go out to do a survey or a study, they're taking it as um, not owning those products, having that view to say, this is the trend. Then we have to go and I think embark on what the question was getting to, and say, okay, who owns this product now? If we're going to prioritize, who owns this product? Who's our our partner to improve this experience? Um, I want
1: to. I want to I I <laughs> quickly. And I know Roy weighed in a bit earlier, and I wanted to go back to a couple of Simone's points. I think, but just really quickly, I'm going to triple down on what Roy said and what Emily has said. You. Actually, it's impossible to prioritise correctly without this sentiment data. Yeah. Because the trouble is technology is always going to shout at us and tell us it's not feeling grey and it needs to. But we, what we don't know is that technology challenge impacting the employee themselves and their productivity, which is, after all, in most organisations organization, why technology exists, right? It's about employee productivity. So, you know, I, and I, I know I, I kind of drink the champagne on this stuff, and, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to now see how you couldn't consider it. Right. How can you not? Especially as budgets are shrinking, it's even more important that our investment dollar fixes the right thing. You know, so yeah, just triple downing on it, and then I'll I'll stop on that particular. You can always go for a fourth down if you like, man. It's up to you.
0: <laughs> no, I just love the the you know remove the bias. Yeah having that that third party experience team that works for your company beautiful suggestion Mm -hmm. we we even go a step further often and we recommend that you will even when you're doing the research have a third party that doesn't work for your company that continues to remove bias and this is particularly true if you're doing human resources work um people are really fearful of human resources because they think they're going to get fired if they give poor feedback to their manager, or poor feedback to their director. Um, so having that third party doing it and conduct your research in such a way that you create that safe space. You know, I'm only recording this so that I can take notes and no one is going to see this recording. Yeah. That, that sentiment doesn't apply to this podcast. I'm just giving an <laughs> example of the research. <laughs>
2: Yeah. It's important. And um, something that just popped into my mind earlier and then left, and now I just thought about it again, like um, when you're working on those shared goals with HR, if you're in technology, um, the employee experience can't be decoupled from HR. So I said in technology, I focus on digital employee experience, but there has to be that partnership. And let's be honest, none of us are getting our jobs done without technology. Um, and so if we Come to our colleagues with, we want to enable you to be more efficient. Maybe productivity is not right. Like, oh, you're watching my every productivity now that we're hybrid or whatever. But we want you to be able to meet your goals. I think you alluded to this earlier, John. Um, And that's why we're asking or we want to talk to you or that's Mm -hmm. why we exist. Um, I think it'll be received um, a lot better.
0: Okay. Let's take it a step further. So now... We, we've, we've bootstrapped our experience. We're, we're a, an individual contributor. We know experience matters. We know what to do to take action. Then a little bit further along the maturity scale, we, we stand up this DEX group, this employee experience group, whatever group, and they're, they're conducting the research. They're looking at the tickets. They're doing the research. They're, they're providing their non-biased objective. Now let's go to the real money question how do we get executives and leaders to give us money to get these things, to stand up that expo- that experience team, to give us the tools that we need to measure these things and, and conduct surveys and research?
2: Another tough one. You're <laughs> full of them today. So. I am. <laughs> <laughs> so my approach um, has always been very data very driven. And I put sentiment in that category and I alluded to it earlier getting the qualitative and quantitative data to know what to do. But there's kind of a... um, So that's what we know what the colleagues care about. We can put that against what's rising in our ticket trends or our system. But then there's that third element that I think touches on what you're getting at is how are we gonna show our ROI? Like how do we show that this will matter and what does that data look like? So um, the company continues to invest because we're not a revenue generator. Mm -hmm. And I had to um, fight this fight annually for the past seven years <laughs> because we're not we're not driving we're not driving revenue to the bottom line. So that what we focus on, the biggest things um that are easy to focus on is minimizing abrasion when you're rolling something new. Because what's not stopping is new technology is not stopping rolling out. Mm-hmm. Um if we like what's the cost of getting it wrong? What's mm-hmm. the cost of rolling something out? and then having to go back because we've interrupted everybody's productivity. And, you know, now we have to go back every, you know, see this with, there's so many things that in 365 offers. I didn't have any experience with that until coming here because we didn't use it to the fullest at Sickness. So we came here and even I was like, well, how, where do I even start? If we don't focus on that, when we roll it out, we're rolling out a, a tool or some, you know, a product to help our employees be more efficient but in the short term, we are we are taking a hit in productivity to help them. So, how do you show that through data? Um, on the flip side, um, you can you can again look at your calls. When we roll something out, are we spiking calls at the service desk, and that are spiking tickets? Um, so, are we causing abrasion? And that's how we know we're causing abrasion when we're rolling something out. Um, how is it being adopted? Are what metrics exist? to show adoption. Um, we're rolling out this new tool. We want our colleagues to take a behavior because maybe Microsoft made a change. We know we don't control that. There's many products in our environment. We don't control if those vendors, were those suppliers we're working with are making a change. But when they do, how do we help our employees through that? And how do you tie that to hours, minutes productivity and continue to tell that story over and over again? And it's not always the same way because they're all different softwares. What data does Microsoft have available? What data do our security friends have available? How can we show this usage of these technologies and improve that? And then of course you always do have, as I mentioned, the ticket data, it's not going anywhere, Right. right? So we rolled out this new technology and nobody called the service desk. Holy cow, like that happened in my past. And I even had a leader of security say, we have never done a change and had this, low amount of calls to the service desk ever. Like that's huge. You tell that story. So after everything, when you know what you're going to prioritize, you have to stop at the very beginning and say, how do we know when this will be successful and what data is available to us to know that? Qualitative or quantitative. So...
0: Such I'll a stop
2: there. I probably could keep going, but that's, that's my, such a good response. So, uh,
0: anyone who's put in a request for change knows that this is a problem. Uh, you know, you see it on the request for change forms all the time. Like, I'm going to reboot the email server. What's the impact to users? Um, and, and you fill out the form and you say, you know, no one's going to have email for an hour. And uh, what's the major risk? Well, maybe email doesn't come up for eight hours. Thinking ahead working ahead, working with the employees, the people you're impacting that change upon is gonna help you have that successful change. And it's gonna give you that win to justify more of that work. Roy has another great point. Maybe you just stand up a bootstrap team and do something to see if you can get commitment. And that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, Try it out in little pockets, see what works and then prove it.
2: Definitely. I agree with Roy, 100%. Small pilots, prove your value each time. And then you actually learn like, how you're going to do it the next time. And we're doing the same thing here. Like We're collecting projects. We're not waiting till we build this magical deck space and then opening the door to come in. We're building it one project at a time. Because like I said, these technology changes are already happening with or without decks being alongside. So what's Definitely. happening right now And let's get involved there, see how we can make that better. Had we not existed, use that data. And then we are now building our repository for the next time it comes. We now have experience about how we did the last one. And you just do it one project at a time. So you have to find like your intake or visibility into what technologies are changing or rolling out that are going to impact our colleagues. Because for the third time, they're going on with or without you, it's happening with or without you collecting sentiment, collecting data, measuring success. And then you know back to the executives, they're gonna wanna see it tied back to cost. They're going to want to, like mm-hmm. that's their job. If they're not asking you that, I might be a little concerned like <laughs> where I work because that is their job. And so you think about, if you're talking about productivity hours or adoption or something like that, what's the cost of a productivity hour? And you know, start talking about it in costs. If you talk about um, leveraging tools, you know, like next, thinking John, like looking at software utilization or remediation, there's a cost to that, and Dex could definitely get involved. So we won't have to go through multiple contracts and look at software. We could look at utilization, and if you take that story up to your executives and say, this will, you know, improve what we manage in the environment, um, and it's directly tied to a cost savings, like. Right? That's another example. You just have to um, think about how you target a cost. And it's work mm. that's, uh, I can't stress it enough. It's work that's already happening. It's just being able to get the data to measure in a way we haven't before. In yeah. the industry.
1: And, and certainly from, you know, the IT cost side of things as well. I mean, I'm always intrigued, Emily, maybe we'll circle back to kind of the, the impact to employee retention and things like that, because I think there's something there as well. Um, but one of the hard costs we often see our customers is about how do you automate and what you automate away some of the tasks where you are seeing the friction coming through, where you're combining that hard data that we're now able to, to get, you know, we're able to turn the lights on with new technologies into the data way beyond tickets, you know, and that's where we can now, along with the sentiment, bring hard and soft data together. That's the notion of DEX, digital employee experiences, bring the hard and the soft data together to prioritise and shift left all the way through to automation. Automate first as a strategy um, and then enable sort of in parallel proactivity. And that proactivity is sometimes, you know, on our side, hey, we notice, you know, a little up, hey, we noticed that, you know, Outlook's crashed three times this week and you didn't report that to us, but we want to let you know that you can, a time to spend some time with one of our people and, and and we're there to help if you would like us to click here or if you if you're okay click here it's just another way of trying to kind of build that trust that empathy and build a relationship
2: it's a balance and i mean the the um it's also important to keep the environment running right you have to continue those activities this is a supplement it's not a replacement of anything mm-hmm. it's a supplement and a different lens to help you prioritize different things because you can't just shift and not care about those things because then mm-hmm. employees will start to feel it like that data is good to keep um keep systems running there's things our employees don't know that go on behind the scenes that keep mm-hmm. applications from crashing and keep them up and running so let's be pro continue to be proactive in that but then there also are things you'll find out when you ask about the sentiment that technology is not the solve to the problem mm-hmm. such exactly. as that tool adoption or a way to you know processes to better roll things out or to better adopt the tools and don't just, you know, coming from technology say, we've got the tool implemented, done, we're moving to the next product and employees are running around like, ah, this changed. And I don't know, I don't know how to get my job done. I don't know where to store my files. What's the difference between all of this? Like, it's not done when it works on the network.
1: One of, one of the folks we were with actually, Emily, when we got together in St. Louis, he actually gave us a great example. It might've been offline, like we were chatting. And he was saying to me about, you know, one of his one of their Macs, they got like 4,000 or so Macs, you know, not huge, but impactful still. And just in a side conversation with like an intern, this person had said, hey, you know, the only thing that bugs me is every time I walk away from my Mac to go and get a coffee and I'm on VPN, screensaver kicks in, I kind of come back again and it's dropped VPN and I don't realise how it is. And it's like, that's a bit, that's annoying. And this, I'm like, that shouldn't happen. And again, it's just and and no kind of IT system is going to tell you that that was the experience, but mm. an employee will tell you if you ask them, if you build trust, if you create this opportunity for you to share. Hey, what bugs you today? What bugged you this week? You know, and they'll share this stuff, and then we can take that sort of design thinking that really shouldn't be happening. Let's go, and these these folks very quickly found the root cause, fixed that, and suddenly we've we've raised the bar, you know, incrementally for another four thousand folks in the world who are getting a better digital experience. You know,
0: cool. That's so true. I love that. And it um, it just points out, you know, shadow the employees. Yeah. The The example I always give is, you know that there's someone out there who's pasting data into an Excel spreadsheet over and over and over. If you just sat and watched them work one day, you would see that happening and you would mm-hmm. say, there's a much easier way to, to do this. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you too so much for being on Ticketfly. How can people connect with you and learn more?
2: Um, on LinkedIn, send me a note. I'm always happy to connect and and talk about this and other experiences around digital employee experience. So, um, I've been doing it before it had a name. So <laughs> I think it just started to rise in the industry, you know, the past couple of years, but um, started almost 7 years ago um, trying to Get a handle on this problem that I know every company faces. So, yeah, Always well, have to this
1: is why we love talking to you, Emily, because you know, it's this again, it's a different skill set. Most of us haven't done this stuff before. Getting a hold of me again, LinkedIn's great. Always happy to chat. And uh, JON.Layton at next is where you can get me. You can get me at
0: next thing. Excellent. Well, thank you for your time. Thanks for being on Ticket Volume too. Thanks for
2: nice having you. us, Matt. Yeah, it's been
0: Thanks fun to chat. Likewise. And to our guests today, what are you looking for? We have lots of ideas to give more value to the community, but we need your input. Leave a comment or email us at ticketvolume at invigate.com. Speaking of ticket volume, did you know that this podcast is brought to you by Invigate? A fit for purpose service desk solution and integrated asset management system designed to let you focus on supporting your organization without arduous implementations. In fact, service teams from Toyota, NASA and McDonald's use InviGate to manage requests, automate workflows, and centralize inventory data so that they can focus on delivering better service. Because good service is good business. Have a great day.